This is the Vince Lionel Podcast, episode 37. On today's episode, we have George Dahl in the house talking about Will Smith's Genie and Aladdin, the tit-for-tat for the Oscars, and Ryan Johnson still directing the new Star Wars trilogy. Uh, also, George will be talking about his new film, The Last Stop, Record Shop, a great film. All this and more as the Vince Lerno Podcast starts right now. Hey guys, welcome to the Vince Lerno Podcast. Once again, back at it on this Thursday, February 21st, 2019. I'm your host, Vince Salerno. It's been a crazy past couple days. Uh, we were supposed to record this episode a week ago, but I got strep throat during Valentine's Day weekend, and uh, yeah, strep throat was my uh, was my date, and uh, she was a bitch. Wow. Um, again, breaking my rule already. <laughs> you broke no swearing rule. <laughs> Do I get one free swear now? You get one free swear now. Oscars? Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, we'll probably I'll probably break that rule again when we talk about that. Okay. My I, my first or first my only guest today uh, is a guy who I've been trying to get on the show for a while. Uh, I've been on his show uh, once. Yeah. Once, and we'll have to do it again soon. But uh, it's a good friend of mine, great filmmaker, and he's here today to talk about his uh, epic new. Uh, trip of a movie, The Last Stop Record Shop. It's George Dahl. Hi, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. So um, tell the people a little bit about um, what you do in the industry. Uh, I mean, obviously you make movies, but um, what else are you involved with? I don't know if I can really say with confidence that I'm in the industry, but uh, I work here in Omaha. Very loose term. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I'm in my own little industry. I, I work here in Omaha, Nebraska, where I, after I graduated from school a year and a half ago, uh, University of Iowa. I opened up my own um, filmmaking company called Doll Productions. Then I've produced a lot of TV commercials, online commercials, wedding videos, things that I'm some I'm really proud of for some great companies here locally: Boys and Girls Club, Gorilla Wash, restaurants, bars. So it's it's been really fun, and I just keep growing and getting better, and it's been it's been a good time. Yeah, now I've I've seen your stuff. It's it's pretty impressive how you've uh, built yourself up over the past couple of years to this. LLC now and still having time to make movies like this yeah it's one of the great real joys of doing stuff like this is that you do work odd hours or shooting weddings I find myself working on the weekends a lot so you have time to work on extracurricular projects during the week Um, it can be tough though setting a schedule and trying to like balance your life and make it all work because Mm -hmm. you're so out of sync with sort of the normal average people working nine to five which can be good but it can also be you really got to manage your time well which is something I'm not the best at (laughs) Man, sounds like the dream. <laughs> yes, it's all right. It's uh, it sounds very much. Um, uh, would you say you're a you're an indie filmmaker? Sure. Out of pocket, so. Sure. Yeah, well, I guess we'll touch a little bit on that uh, when we talk about your movie, The Last Stop Record Shop. Uh, for now, we have uh, three, um, various controversial topics to talk about today. Hmm. First of which, number one in our top three is Will Smith. Back in the news, so uh, most of most of you have probably seen the the uh, Will Smith genie in the Aladdin teaser, um, but let's let's backtrack a little bit. So the first teaser came out, and uh, at least for me, did nothing. It was like 
a minute long. It showed the lamp, it showed Aladdin, it showed the cave, and you could hear the da 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 da, and then that was it. I'm like, um, this this is boring, <laughs> uh, and um, I I wanted more. You know, I don't know if you're a particular fan of these movies or if, if you've. Do you mean like the new live action Disney remix of their own movies? Um, yeah, I guess specifically, are you a fan of the animated version of Aladdin? I've never seen it. Oh, really? No, oh. I've never seen it. Um, actually, I think I might have when I was very, very young, but I mm-hmm. don't. You're familiar it. with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For okay. Sure. Cool. I, you know, what? I've seen clips of Robin Williams doing the genie thing. Okay. Especially when he does his William F. Buckley impression when he's the yeah. genie. But um, I don't, I don't, I can't say I remember that. Would it be worth me rewatching? I think so. Actually, I, I rewatched it last night and it's. It's pretty great. I mean, if you okay. love, you know, it's kind of one of the classic Disney movies. There's some, you know, cliche dialogue. Some of there's there's like a blend of CG animation that doesn't really hold up today. But, um, you know, it's it's one of the classics, and it's it's a classic for a reason. I, I mean, I I think it's one of Disney's best. I tend to really like. Um, traditional hand-drawn animation. Mm-hmm. So I, I am drawn to stuff like that. I can't say that I've revisited like Beauty and the Beast or Lion King or anything like that in a, in a long, long time. It's been... But I really love uh, like Ralph Bakshi movies. I love mm-hmm. early Disney stuff like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and Fantasia and all oh, that yeah. stuff he worked on with Ubi Works, those cartoons. I love Looney Tunes. But um, yeah, I have not... Um, I remember Lion King very, very well just because I probably saw it a million times as a kid. Oh, yeah. So Same. it's just sort of assimilated into me. But... Um, I didn't. I've I've seen the new remake of Jungle Book, mm-hmm. which I liked, and I didn't see the Beauty and the Beast. And have they done any more? They they did uh, Cinderella. They did. They did a Cinderella one. Oh yeah, and it's it's really good. It's Who's, probably one of the best ones they've done. Really? Oh. Okay. Kenneth Branagh directed it. Oh really? Uh, Lily oh, James was Cinderella. Uh, yeah, it's it's so good. Um, they did a Sleeping Beauty, but it was a they did Maleficent. Oh, with Angela and Jolie. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, technically fits. I love the, the Sleeping Beauty animated because that that animation is so fun and like mm-hmm. very sixties. I haven't love seen it. I haven't seen a lot of it, but uh, I I've seen like the the big dragon fight at the end. And it's that, beautiful. It's it's so cool. Like what? I love those almost trippy, scary looking. Uh, animation aesthetics and yeah disney kind of excelled at that uh back in the day so one of my favorite things about cartoons animation animated movies is the background art mm, that was generally yeah. painted and that has some of the best i'm trying to remember the artist that was sort of the lead on that but it was only disney film that he was sort of the art the art designer on and uh that's the reason why it looks so unique mm-hmm. yeah i don't know but um anyway so um yeah, Aladdin. I, like I said, I, I watched a la- rewatched the movie last night. It's it's kind of hard to th- once you watch these movies, you kind of remember why they were so beloved, and then you think, well, well, well why touch it again? <laughs> Especially Money. in live action. Yeah, exactly. Money. Money. And so, putting all that into perspective, watching this new trailer uh, or sneak peek during the Grammys, because I guess Will Smith Grammys, it makes sense somehow. <laughs> That's right. Um, he wrote a lot of great songs. Yeah, uh, the the trailer excelled on um, certain aspects and just fell flat on some. And not the not the ones that most people think I'm going to talk about are the ones that I necessarily disliked. Um, 
first off, Jafar uh, sounds terrible. In the movie, he's got this kind of deep voice, and he's very menacing, and uh, I want power, and uh. And in this, he's like, bring me the lamp. Your life begins now, Aladdin. Not menacing. He just sounds like this privileged little schmuck. Really doesn't sound. He's not menacing. He's just he's, sort of in a feet kind of guy. He's in. He's in like the giant, you know, very uh, defined robes and stuff in the hat. But he's just this little shrimp in this giant costume that almost looks like it doesn't fit him. Mm. And so that that's just a small little gripe because uh, we're going off topic of what the the, the point of this topic is. Um, everything else looked great. I think the kid who plays Aladdin looks looks good. The Naomi Scott who plays Jasmine looks great. All that, but we get to the genie, played by Will Smith, and most people hate it. It's gotten like a hundred, hundred seven million dislikes, or not hundred seven million, hundred seven, hundred seven thousand, yeah, hundred seven thousand uh, dislikes versus like a hundred sixty four or sixty four hundred. Um, on the trailer, like, like on YouTube? Yeah. Okay. And Got ratioed, as it, the kids say. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably one of the most disliked videos since the Ghostbusters remake reboot <laughs> trailer. Right. We all know how that went. <clears throat> um, I And I, I've seen it, and uh, I'm going to get butchered for this, but here it goes. I don't hate it. Yeah, I didn't. I was gonna say the same thing. I don't think it looks so bad. It it looks it. the only thing that I don't like. I I like the look because I we're going into this. I I figured the only way because Robin Williams is dead. That is dead, obviously, and that's his role. Like he right. That is probably the most iconic role. He's one of the most iconic roles and the most synonymous role connected to him. Like most people, when they think of Robin Williams, they think of the genie. So how do you top that or how do you address that in a live action movie? You don't. You take a completely different direction. You find another big personality and you have them do their own fun thing with it. And Will Smith has is one of those big personalities that I think could do something unique with it and really pull it off. So his performance and him in the role and him being blue, because that was another issue, is not my issue my issue is the animation is awful like he looks i can't even tell anymore because i think cgi looks so bad that i just don't even doesn't even well i mean you look at you look at um infinity war like thanos looked amazing yeah for for modern cgi standards he looked incredible and and this is the same studio this is disney and comparably I mean, he looks like this uncanny... Yeah, it did look weird. ...blob. Like, it was just giant Will Smith's head. Or, like, they rotoscoped his head, just his head, put it onto the CGI body, and then, here we go. And so that's what I took issue with. Not that Will Smith is in the role and that he's blue and that he's... Why do people think he's blue? I don't know. The internet's the internet's so weird about? because because initially they complained there was a there was this um, Entertainment Weekly story that came out that showed the cast and Will Smith was in it but he was Will Smith with the goatee and the hair and stuff and he had some blue robes on 
And people are like, oh my gosh, he's not CGI. He's not blue. Uh, and he's like, oh, hold on. No, I'm going to be blue. Don't worry. And he explained like this. He takes on like a human form throughout the movie. And now that he is blue, it's people are like, oh, he's, he's ugly as blue. Well, that's racist or whatever. And it's just, Why is it racist to be blue? I don't know. That's, what's, that's what puzzles me about this is just the hate is just coming from all different directions. And I don't even think all of it's from logical people. I think it's just trolls that are just trying to stir the pot. I don't think film culture online is very interesting. I follow a lot of people on Twitter who talk about movies ostensibly. And for the most part, all they want to do is throw shade at other films and talk about who's going to win the Oscar. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. There are people that are on Twitter that are very, very popular. And I'm just like, I tweeted at one of them. And I'm like, why do you care so much about the Oscars? Like, it's like, it's, it's like kind of a sports betting thing. They all just talk about the Oscars. And I don't find the discourse to be all that interesting. Mm-hmm. It seems to be really, really um, just derogatory or aimed at like, let's tear this thing down. Or they all jump on one narrative and make jokes about it for like a day. So I saw the, and I think a lot of these narratives are just like astroturfed. Like I saw one where the new joke is, I guess, Denis Villeneuve's new Dune movie has a big cast of a mm-hmm. lot of famous faces. I mean, it's a, it's a good cast. Oh, yeah. I'm stoked for that movie. Yeah. But I mean, the, the thing online is everyone goes, oh, my God, the cast is so huge. Now everyone's in the cast. LOL. Like this is on Twitter. And it was like everyone in the universe is in the new Dune movie. Ha ha ha. Right. You know what I mean? But yeah. I'm like, OK, well, in a world where Infinity War exists, like this is still a joke. So I think almost like this, and you know, a lot of these film blogging sites who push this stuff out, Slash Film or Screen Rant, any of these people, mm-hmm. they just take press releases from the studios and then just run with them. Yeah. I mean, they're just mouthpieces for the studios that put a little twist on it. And then they say, hey, maybe say a joke about how big the cast is because we really want to push that. And right. then they do. And then they go, okay, great. We'll see you at the on set in six months so you can meet and take pictures with all the uh, stars and write a favorable review about it on your blog. So I don't, I don't think any of the discourse is really that interesting. Yeah, I can't tell you how many pages I've had to unfollow just because it's either, yeah, it's either fan theories, it's either just very negative and 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 not even really like discussing film. No. Or it's uh, it pisses me off so much, and I finally like made the decision to unfollow them. But comicbook.com, they or comicbooknews.com, whatever they're calling, I don't remember anymore. But they they put out this. I'm stoked for Toy Story 4. And there was this uh, interview with George Stephanopoulos on GMA where he, for some reason, assumed George Steph- that... from CNN? From uh, GMA, Good Morning America. Oh. I think... Um, he was the Hillary's campaign manager. In the, or it, 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 he worked for the Clintons. Really? Like back in the day? Yeah. Well, I yeah, did not know that. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Good to know. <laughs> mm. yeah. Makes sense now. Anyways, he, for, he... Somehow, I don't know how he assumed this, but... He was interviewing Annie Potts for the movie because she's playing Bo Peep. And he was saying, oh, so there's this, you know, last time we saw Bo Peep, she was caught in a love triangle with Woody and Buzz. Does she choose? And I'm in the comments trying to start something saying, what love triangle? There was no love triangle. I've seen these movies a hundred times over. These are my favorite movies ever. I would have known if there was some damn love triangle. And 
all these news outlets started running with that. Like, is there a twist love triangle in Toy Story 4? Are they retconning certain aspects of the movie? And I was like, that's it. You're, you're destroying my favorite movie. I'm, I'm done. So well, I, here, that proves my point a little bit. Like I said about studios pushing narratives. ABC is owned by Disney. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Stephanopoulos is not going to ask a question unless it's approved by Top Brass. He asks something like that. It generates news and buzz for the movie. It doesn't matter if it's true. It gets the word out that Toy Stories. When's it coming out? June twenty first. Okay, and it gets they're really. Mm-hmm. They're making a, what's it going to be about? Fourth Toy Story? I thought they basically ended it. With it's part um, it's supposed to be a very existential movie. Like there's this um, mm-hmm. character who's like a um, he's a spork and he's like a like an arts and crafts project that the girl who takes him in makes in school. Okay, and he comes to life, but he has this like because he's a he's a spork and he thinks like I I'm not a toy. I'm a spork. I'm meant to be thrown away i'm trash Hmm. and so the toys are trying to they go on this like road trip um with the with the little girl and they're trying to show him like what it means to be a toy and so it's a film about identity yeah essentially it's very existential topical yeah and then what am i do i belong to a group etc etc yeah or just what because i guess they also like went in deeper and said like the the purpose of the whole world of Toy Story is that everything has a purpose. So right. this is kind of like reinforcing that that mantra for the franchise. And then Bo Peep, is, who wasn't in the last movie, is coming back. And she has this whole backstory to where she was... She left uh, Woody and Buzz's original owner. And she's sort of like become this ownerless toy who just kind of... Okay. roams around the world and they, they meet each other and they both have like very different views of uh, life as a toy like she's like uh, you know free spirit all the way and he's like no we have to we you know belong to kids and we have to be there for the kids I see so, so that's really meta mm-hmm. they're re- they're just rearranging what the role of toy and owner is that's interesting and it what is, it means yeah. to be part individual or in the group how do you get more fulfillment as a spork yeah, I see. it's it, there's a lot of different elements playing, and I don't know how they're going to connect. But that that just makes me more excited for these movies. I mean, I thought that Woody was uh, into the uh, girl Woody, the female oh. cowboy. In Toy Story three, they established that um, they're her platonic. and Buzz, her and Buzz are a thing. Yeah, hey, right Because I guess, I guess Jesse and Woody are more like um, siblings. Okay. And I think like the the show that they belong to in the in the second movie they kind of established that oh yeah they're they're brother and sister they're not love interest or anything. I like that idea in the second one where they really got into like Buzz's identity once he realized that he was not unique and there was another army of Buzzes in the toy store. You know what I mean? I thought right. that was really great. That was an interesting question. But yeah. um, but yeah, like I was saying, it just it's just a fake narrative that's pushed out by ABC and they're like, hey, drum up some interest in Toy Story. We'll get people to fight about nothing on the internet. Mm-hmm. They're not going to talk about any of the themes of the film, right? Or God forbid, the filmmakers behind it and their goals, their motivations, their inspirations. We're just going to talk. Like that's what that's what all the Avengers movies are about. People hardly talk about their themes. I mean, I suppose it's not true, but I mean, because people make great videos about analyzing the themes. Oh yeah. But oh yeah. But uh, it's just like what's going to happen in the plot. Mm -hmm. Oh, we have these leaked figures. You know, we're going to yeah. Building up. That's all it is. Is just to talk about that. And yeah, it's so boring. Truth be told, I I sometimes get into that stuff. Just the um the the leak stuff because i just get so excited for some of this some of these things but um you know i have my limits like i won't watch 
full-on clips of things or if like if it's like a story thread it's just like no yeah or like fan theory might be true right it reminds me a little bit of like the Mueller investigation every day i see some youtuber like i got a brand new leak from star wars 9 yeah this is a big big news new leak you know and it's like we saw a picture of luke's new robe the number of of articles that i've seen in the past two months that have said episode nine title coming out this week it's like right good for you here's a lollipop and yeah what's it gonna be the the final i don't know well let's discuss that when we get to uh ryan johnson's thing but um i guess let's wrap this up on on the genie uh Honestly, it's too early to determine if, if this is going to be a hit or miss, I think. Yeah. Um, being a, a big fan of, of Aladdin and the Genie, um, I think this is a, the most respectful way to go about addressing or, or you know, uh, t- trying trying to uh, portray a character that was so well portrayed by someone like Robin Williams. And um, as long as the as long as the CGI just gets better, He's fine. Remember, that, that's all I care about. Otherwise, I'm still pretty excited for this movie. They could fix it. And I'll tell you this, too. I think Will Smith's a fine, fun personality. Mm-hmm. He'll do it. He'll be like, hey, I'm the genie. Uh, you know, oh, it'll yeah. be more of like an in-your-face kind of like back-slapping genie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Than Robin Williams. But um, remember people were saying that there'd be no way you could outdo Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Like, oh, you can't. Oh, yeah. yeah the Joker's his role. He killed it. You know. Mm-hmm. And before that, they were saying that he couldn't do the Joker because Sid Caesar was so great as the Joker on the Batman television show. But you can have reinterpretations of characters all the time. And I think exactly. that's the, I think you're exactly right when you said that they're going in a totally different direction. You can't recreate Robin Williams, which is lightning in a bottle. So I try. So mm-hmm. go a different direction. But, yeah, totally. I mean, would it be a non-positive thing to say that this whole enterprise of these Disney remakes is cynical in and of itself and is kind of, I mean, not very appealing to I, me anyway. I would, no, I would agree with that. I think that they are starting to lose their, um, their magic because I, for all nostalgic purposes, I loved Beauty and the Beast, but the movie was a like scene for scene remake with some new songs right. uh, and just the live action um you know the right. live action aesthetic there was nothing new the reason why i i hold cinderella in such high praise is because they didn't just make cinderella in live action they they really like added new elements to the story and took on a different approach to it it wasn't just hey remember disney cinderella well here it is again but just live action it was a real it was a really different movie and that's what i appreciate and that was i'm i look for that in every one of these films and i haven't i wanted it to be in beauty and the beast and it wasn't there it just felt again for all the, my, my the nostalgia person in me just loved the crap out of it because it just it harkened back to that time when i watched this movie for the first time and i'm af- i'm afraid aladdin's gonna fall into the same camp where it's gonna be it's not gonna have anything new to say about the property it's just gonna be Remember Aladdin? Right. Here's Aladdin. Here it is again, but with better special effects now. <laughs> exactly, like yeah. A hit song. You know, I mean... Uh, and Dumbo looks interesting because Dumbo is, is a completely different interpretation. Yeah, it's a Tim Burton Yeah. Um, yeah, God, they're making that too, aren't they? Yeah. There's Boy. There's three of them coming out. There's that, there's Aladdin, and there's The Lion King. Oh, that's right. I saw the trailer for The Lion King, and I thought this seems... 
totally redundant because it's just animated again. Yeah. And I mean, I'm like, I'm trying to think like, why would John Favreau want to do something like this? I just, I just hope that they, again, that they do something new with it. Otherwise, yeah, it's like, why bother? It's like, can I, can I just go watch the original? Is that sufficient enough? Yeah, I, you know, and I think it's, it's a shame too because if you, I think you can do a different version of Cinderella because it is such an old story. And while Little Mermaid and Aladdin are based off older stories, it, they're very heavily redacted from the original text, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so you have the opportunity to cement Aladdin as a fairy tale like Cinderella if you go in a different direction with it. But if you just remake the original film, I mean, even keeping the aesthetic of like the, you know, all the little animals and birds in the carpet look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, it just seems like you're, uh, you're, you're a, 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 some kind of species that's just subsisting on its own waste and then eventually you're going to die if you just keep, you know what I mean? Like, you're yeah. not, you're not plowing the field to make way for a new crop. You're just like, you're going to kill, the, you're going to just ruin the land. You're digging to the center of the earth until you can't dig anymore. You're just going to make, yeah, you're going to get rid of the topsoil and there's going to mm-hmm. be nothing left to, what are the, what are the remakes going to be in 10, in 15 years? Good Lord. Who knows? The only, I can, well, I'm thinking of the only property that you could potentially remake. The only like original new property is probably what? Kingsman? Maybe, yeah. That's one of the, I mean, it's technically based on a comic book, but loosely. But yeah. And very loosely. Very loosely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? You, you bring up a good point. Yeah. So it's an interesting time we're in. But, um, self-cannibalism. You get mad cow disease if you do that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Topic number two. The Oscars. The never-ending tit-for-tat conversation about the Oscars. So backtracking like six months ago uh the oscars have kind of been in a very weird situation where they're trying to haphazardly put together a show that will be the best show ever because their rating ratings keep going down they keep getting worse with every single year is that right yeah every year they keep getting worse good I agree. (laughs) Uh, So their first attempt to uh, fix this problem was an announcement in, um, I want to say August, that the Oscars was going to uh, introduce a popular Oscar category, which would allow films like Black Panther and Avengers Infinity War to be nominated for Oscars. Isn't that what we have the Nickelodeon kids choice awards for exactly and so the internet cried out in retaliation as they should have and the academy was like just kidding we're not gonna do that then uh i don't remember if there's anything else that happened but from what i can remember then the whole situation of who's gonna host it kevin hart comes out great choice then they want him to apologize for some stupid tweet that, or some stupid joke he made 10 years ago and already apologized for. They want him to re-apologize for it. And he's like, no. Bye-bye, Kevin Hart. Didn't he apologize for it and they still said no? I, I don't think he wanted to, regardless. Yeah, yeah. you can't apologize to the mob. Mm-hmm. That just feeds him more. Yeah, I don't think he was he was interested after the way they treated him. So uh, weeks later, they announced... 
We're not going to have a host this year. We're going to have a variety of segments that'll entertain you guys throughout the the evening. Great. And then I think there's some, I don't know what else happened, but the, in terms of big significant things that I can remember, then two weeks ago, I think we get word that not all 24 categories are going to be screened. They are going to pull pull the plug on best cinematography, best editing, best costume design, and best animated short film or best short best live action one of the short films. And instead, they'd be they'd be edited down and shown at the after commercial, uh, and just showing the speech of who won for like. And, and, and editing in, keeping in the emotional beats that the Academy deems worthy. Okay. And the internet retaliated tenfold and said, I'm just going to let go of the rule, said, fuck you, Academy. This is bullshit. And this, I think this week they finally announced, just kidding, we're going to screen all 24 awards what no we weren't gonna ever do that it was a joke blah 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 so now all the awards are going to be screened we have no host yet somehow we're gonna have a ceremony um are you even excited for the oscars anymore i don't i haven't watched the oscars in years and i don't necessarily say that to be like kind of an edgelord of like i hate everything and i'm doing something cooler but um i don't find them to be very appealing uh first of all it just seems to me to be it's it, here's what I, here's what I'd say. The Oscars only have a they have a general appeal because of celebrities in in dresses mm-hmm. and you get cutaways to celebrities and I guess occasionally funny skits or songs. Yeah. But I totally understand why they would want to cut editing because I don't think the average person knows what good editing looks like. You know, and I don't blame them for that. They don't have. It's not. It's not a knock on them that they don't. They're not. You know, involved with every minutia of filmmaking, because believe it or not, film Twitter. Some people have lives to live, and they don't necessarily care about film editing. Right? Mm-hmm. They want to see the actors and the actresses, and that's what they're tuning in for. And so I, I understand it. I don't understand cinematography cutting that because I think people could find that generally interesting, especially costume design. Mm-hmm. I think people would find costume design to be interesting. Oh yeah. So I don't know why they would cut those. Um, I know that they usually don't show sound design. Don't, I mean, they usually don't do that, I believe, or like smaller, they, like uh, they usually screen all twenty four. Do they really? I, yeah. I remember seeing clips of it before. I haven't seen. It. I haven't. I like you haven't okay. watched the the Academy Awards in like two years. But last time I saw, they did. Uh, they did screen all twenty four. Yeah. Well, here's my beef with that. Everyone is getting on. I think it's easy for everyone to to be a rage mob on social media about this because they want to pretend like they're sticking up for the benighted, the belighted, you know, artists who are being uh, ignored and shuffled to the side, and they want to say, "Oh, the cinematographers are such hardworking people. You can't slight them in this way." Where I'm here to stand up for them on their white night, etc., etc. I really, I really appreciate and care about art. So it's just a way of kind of virtue signaling online. But the average person doesn't care about editing, and they can't necessarily be made to care. So I don't know why everyone's fighting to force more esoteric roles on the American public when cinematographers and editors get the appreciation from the groups who really care about them. And you can't you can't force the public to care. Well, what while that's true, it's for me personally, the I could I couldn't I couldn't care less about 
screening the Oscars on TV or the or like how much money they make, whether it's a good show or not. It's like at the end of the day, it's an award show. Yeah. It's not about the glamour. It's not about the stars. It's about but Oscar. it is though. That's but it that's is. What but it, it is. shouldn't be. It's well, about it's, yeah, it's but, about at but the then end nobody of the day, would, it's about honoring cinema. But then nobody would watch it. I don't care. Okay, so what's the point? Because this exactly. is this, it reminds I, me of the argument of like people who talk about Christmas and they're like, we need to get the commercialization out of Christmas. All this presents and you know, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But it's like, but that's the reason why everyone loves Christmas. And you may not like it. And you can you can put in what you feel is a true meaning of Christmas and try to smuggle that into the uh, ma- mainstream as much as you can. But if you tear all that away, then people won't be drawn to your show. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, just thinking back to like the time of like Audrey Hepburn, like the the show wasn't like it wasn't a show. It was just people literally get up on the stage and now the Oscar goes to blah blah blah, and you you went you watched to see who who won right for every category, and I mean it was an honor for the film in addition to the people involved. So. And at this point, I'm so sick of the... I've been sick of the Academy for years now. Uh, so I don't even know if I'm going to tune in just because I'm so sick of hearing, no, no, we're going to do this. Oh, no, just kidding. We're going to do this. Oh, just kidding. It's like this show has become so... Overblown. Overblown and path- it's pathetic. They don't even they don't even have a host this year. Well, I think... That's how pathetic this whole thing is. I think that's going to help them. Because you it increases, so? yeah, it increases the chances of the show being a disaster, which is what everyone wants to see. That's why everyone loved so much that they gave the award out to the wrong movie in 2016. Mm-hmm. People loved that. That made it must see TV. People want to see a disaster on TV. They want to see things go. That is awry, true. You know, it, it, it'll be entertaining, but at the same time, I, I'm more concerned about just honoring film at the end of the day. But That's, here's, but we honor film. That's true, but. You can't force I mean, the but, rest. But of the- this is, but the Oscars is at the end of the day, it is the highest honor you could ever get from for making a movie. Sure. And take the commercial. I mean, yes, it, it's it's a show that everyone is interested in. It's it's the Super Bowl of movies. Say all that. It's it commercialism. I totally get that. But at the end of the day, in addition to making an entertaining show, your first priority should be to honor film. And right. if you're not doing that, then it's not. It's not a good. It's not the Oscars. It's. It's. It's the People Magazine celebrity cutaways show. Yeah, it, it's. It's exactly what it is. So well, let me ask you this question: mm-hmm. What do you think has brought George Lucas more joy in his life? Do you think he would be happier winning an Oscar than he would having a loyal fan base that loves him and his films have changed their lives? Probably. Probably the latter. Right. So in the end, there have been plenty of movies that won Oscars that are totally forgotten, where people look back on him now and they say, "What were we thinking giving that the Best Picture?" Mm-hmm. But I get that the Oscars are the ambassador for the film industry to the general public. And yeah, I agree. They're not doing a very good job as stewards of this because they've allowed their show that's supposed to be about honoring the craftsmen to turn into a big celebrity gala circus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you mean you bring up, a, you bring up a great point. Like you're right. We are the ones that honor, honor film and honor the people who are the best at it mm-hmm. and sometimes the worst at it. Right. <laughs> But um, this, sh- and, and as a result, I mean, with with the academy, it, they don't they don't care about that, and that just has always pissed me off. And so, I, I guess I've always had this negative outlook on the academy because of the way they they look at it. it it's not it's not 
a great honor. It's not this this thing that that is bestowed on the best of the best. Yeah. It's it's a show. It's 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 the People Magazine, the award show. You right. know, and it's yeah, it's about oh, is 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 a uh, Viggo Mortensen or, or or Christian Bale gonna take home the Oscar or is um. I don't even know. I don't, I don't even care about the nominees. Like, no. Most of them are great films, but it's like, eh, uh, whatever. Right. I'm not compelled to go out and watch these. Like, like last year, I, I made a genuine effort. I actually, I was really stoked when I found out Get Out was nominated for a couple hmm. Best Picture or Best Picture, Best Writing. And so I made the genuine effort to find that movie in a theater and go see it. This year, I, I haven't been motivated to see anything. Like, maybe... I'm kind of interested in seeing A Star Is Born, but that's it. Oh, I loved A Star Is Born. Really? Very good. I've been hearing nothing but my my mom's son. She loved it. She's usually loved a really. It. She's a she is a picky movie watcher. She won't watch a lot of movies. I didn't think I'd like it, but I, I can't remember exactly what's nominated. I know the favorite is nominated. The favorite's I really, really like the favorite. I yeah. loved it. I love Black Panther. I don't. I get, that that is their like, hey, normal people, please watch the Oscars so you can root for the one movie you actually saw. You know, mm-hmm. even though *Star Is Born* was a big hit, and I think has incredible mainstream appeal, mm-hmm. and in a world without superhero movies, would probably be like the blockbuster of the year. Right. You know? But it seems like it's a it's a big musical effort. You know, even though yeah, it seems like a quaint, people would call it an indie film. You mm-hmm. know, now just because it doesn't have any, uh, there's no Thanos in it. So yeah, I am pretty stoked for the Black Panther nominee because. I do think we hold the standards for especially best picture like mm-hmm. too high to the point where like I was honestly saying give Infinity War a best picture nomination. Doesn't sure. have to win, but give it a nomination. I I, I personally think it's the best movie of the year or well, last year. Well, you remember there only used to be like 5 best picture nominees. Mm-hmm. In 2011 they changed it to to like, like 10. 10, yeah. Yeah. So that's what they were trying to do was to get more popular films into the running. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's too bad. A lot of movies that I really, really like this year, like my favorite films, um, uh, is First Reformed up there? I think that got a writing Yeah, First nomination. Reformed, Annihilation. Oh, I, uh, I Annihilation. Yeah, I loved Annihilation. Um, Hereditary, my absolute number one favorite movie of the year. Ooh, I have to see that one. It's dark. So I can see why they wouldn't, because here's the other thing too. It's like when you're the ambassador of films, like, okay, so I've had many arguments about this. I hated The Shape of Water. Mm. I thought it was awful. And they give it best picture. And I'm like, there you just shoot it yourself in the foot because now every grandma in town is going to go out and see Shape of Water because it won best picture. And they count on the Oscars to be a sort of reputable um, choice maker of what they should go and see, right? Because mm-hmm. everyone's thinking if you win best picture, this must be Titanic or Lawrence of Arabia or something, right? And then they go out to see this bizarre, you know, sort of weird movie with like strange moments of extreme violence and. Uh, a movie that puts you in the position of being a hater and a bigot if you're not into a love story between an incoherent fish, animal, and a woman. And I thought that movie was absolutely awful. And so I think people go out and see that and they go, yeah, I don't trust the Oscars anymore. They're nominating this stuff. This is just totally bizarre. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you like that movie or not, but... It was okay. Do yourself a disservice by doing yeah. stuff like that because I don't remember what else was up for last year. But. I remember walking in. Um, do you uh, do you know Tristan Carmen? Yeah, of course. Yeah, he and I went... He and I were... Uh, meeting up for the first time in like a year, I think, and we went and saw the movie. And he's like, I, you know, I trust your judgment. So if you think it's good, and it's like, yeah, it looks good. Let's go see it. And after the first scene, he's like, he leans over and says, "What the fuck are we?" 
Well, I don't think it's that. It's okay. Then okay. I don't mean to say that I hated it that much, but I, I really usually like Guillermo del Toro a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I mean, it not to see. It was mo- more so that scene and and that further. Um material that was in the movie but i just i wonder did, did anybody find this romantic i didn't i surely did not, not really you know i mean it's i i should i did not you know what movie i really liked last year was call me by your name mm. and you know uh which is an actual gay movie unlike shape of water which is an allegory for one right, right. and i thought that film was really well done but uh i thought the script was just lazy hmm. it's just a lazy script you know the people he's he made the antagonist character so dumb that the uh german scientist character had to say something that he would never say in order to, and give away the women he was trying to help in order to get Michael Shannon from point A to point B because he couldn't figure out another way to do it in the script. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just, I didn't th- find it to be very, uh, very good. Yeah. I mean, I honestly forgot, forgot it even won best picture. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. There's, there you go. So that's the cultural cachet of the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Just forget. And then... Yeah. Well, we'll see the Oscars are this Sunday. So um, we'll see if they pull it off, but I'm honestly not, Actually, I think I'm working that night, so it doesn't even matter. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. I'm not holding my breath for a particularly great show. But, mm. um, you know, I, I'm open to have my mind changed. Okay, number three. Let's talk about something a little more uh, optimistic. So there was a rumor going around that Ryan Johnson was... Damn, phone. Ryan Johnson was not going to direct um, this planned Star Wars trilogy that he had signed on to mm-hmm. a little before The Last Jedi. And uh, being as active as he is on Twitter, he came out immediately and denied that rumor that he said, no, I'm still working on it. I'm just working on my other movie, Knives Out. And once that's done, I will continue working on the Star Wars trilogy. Just be patient. And he was really he was really classy and respectful about it. He, he said, like, you know, all due respect to... Um, so-and-so who who wrote this article and put it out there i'm sure they're you know well-meaning guys just you know was feed, were fed the wrong information uh so he handled it really really um elegantly but i wanted to take this opportunity to talk about ryan johnson in star wars so we kind of we kind of texted each other a little bit about it yesterday uh did you like the last jedi yeah i did um I saw it once in the theater, and I've rewatched it a few times on Blu-ray. But I will tell you this: I end up probably fast-forwarding through half the film when I watch it again. Really? Yes. Wow. There's a lot of stuff. Everything on the ship with Poe, skip. Mm-hmm. Everything on the c- casino planet, gone. And I usually watch everything with Kylo Ren, Ray, and Luke because that's the interesting that, part of it. That's the movie essentially. Yeah. And the rest is just filler, mm-hmm. and it, it falls into that we got to give everyone something to do territory. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with that. Um, I have an interesting sort of story with my settling on my opinion because first day I first time I saw it was midnight with my friends. Loved it. Thought this is the best Star like better than better than uh, Empire Strikes Back. This is the greatest Star Wars movie ever. And then my friends were debating in the parking lot like, but, but what about this? Like Luke Skywalker was such a wimp and blah blah. blah. And it's like yeah, but he had to come he came back at the end and i was trying to defend it and i I thought like well wait maybe it maybe it isn't a good movie and then um that following day i was flying back to black back here from from, from, for uh uh winter break and i went saw with my little brother and he thought it was okay 
I sort of re was reaffirming my opinion, like, yeah, I still really like it. And then sat with it for a week, saw it again with my family, uh, and again, still really liked it. And then I sat with it for a good six to nine months and slowly started to think about it. And I'm like, wait, no, no. And then I finally watched it again on Netflix with a buddy and we were doing this, um, we were doing this hilarious movie marathon. We were, we were doing like mediocre, um, mediocre sequels to sci-fi franchises. Did you watch Highlander 2, The Quickening? No. <laughs> the I have to see that one though. We, we watched yeah. Prometheus and we watched The Last Jedi. Okay. And after watching it again, I was just like, okay, mm -hmm. uh, I don't hate it, but it's not great. And so basically where you're at. I love everything with Luke. I love everything with Rey and Kylo Ren. That That's the movie. But the one thing that I hate and can't forgive is the way they treat Finn's arc. Because they yeah. Finn is my favorite character in the new trilogy. I thought he I thought just the idea of a stormtrooper going rogue was so fascinating and they they introduced it so well in Force Awakens. And in this it's just like Yeah, that was a thing, but right. but Ray though, he has to get back to Ray and he has to find this codebreaker so we can he can help them and then get back to Ray. And it's like his motivations are just it's, it felt his plot felt a lot like what an expanded universe filler comic would be of like hey here's what Poe is up to in the middle of the two movies by this comic you know yeah. it, it didn't feel like it had any bearing on the plot at all yeah exactly and, and partly it's J.J. Abrams fault because he really put Ryan Johnson in a bad position mm -hmm. to where the proper way to start a sequel like this was to do what Empire Strikes Back did and start it like two years later right so mm -hmm. you can put the characters in all new positions you can assume that they've grown they're in a different place but he had to end it on that cliffhanger ending with Luke there on the mountain, right? Because they didn't want him in the movie for whatever reason. Well, they wanted the first one to be the Harrison Ford show to get people in the door. Yeah. <laughs> and then you leave Ryan Johnson in a place where he goes, well, it has to be a direct continuation because she's right there. Everyone wants to know what happened between her and Luke, right? But then the real problem of this movie is that it, it has the, the ending is so final. There's no cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. Um so you're not I mean the movie I mean you could might as well have ended the whole trilogy right there if you'd killed Kylo Ren right I mean I where, so, where yeah. are they going to go from here and they shouldn't have killed Luke because Luke could have been a useful character in the next film had say the movie had the uh, fortitude of its own convictions to have Rey go to the dark side with Kylo at the end yeah I was expecting that why not, not do that and then everyone's waiting in anticipation to find out what's going to happen but now what are we going to get we know what we're going to get we're going to get Rey Fighting Kylo at the very end, Poe and and Finn will be given busy work for half the film, and then at the end, uh, Kylo will either die or he'll decide that he's got to be good. Mm -hmm. The end. Return of the Jedi yeah. Part Two. You know, we know what we're getting. Now. Yeah, no, we're, we're wait instead of waiting in anticipation for like a, a answered questions to a cliffhanger, we're waiting in anticipation to like, can they can they pull this off? <laughs> uh, so. And, and, and I don't I, I think Ryan Johnson did a good job because I, I don't I'm not one of those internet trolls that thinks like oh Ryan Johnson is a, is a dumbass he can't do anything it's like obviously he, not he made Looper Looper is one of the greatest sci-fi films I've ever seen it's okay I like it fine I, I love it I think it's so I think it's so cool but I think um, I think people have a crisis of conscience when they see a film by Ryan Johnson 
and they perceive it as being butchered as they butchered the lore essentially right mm-hmm. because i think people can all accept jj abrams as the sort of heir apparent to spielberg and lucas right yeah so they see him as a worthy steward whereas ryan johnson he's made two popular independent films right mm-hmm. and then i think everybody looks at him as a crisis of faith and they say well, what's the difference between Ryan Johnson and just some schmuck off the street me? I could have come up with a better plot than him. What does he know, right? Mm-hmm. Lawrence Kasdan didn't help write this script. You know, he, he was given the mark of approval because he wrote Empire and Jedi. Right. But Ryan Johnson gets to come in and just do his thing? Well, why not me? Who's this guy? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's sort of like a, a real abrupt shift where it feels like there's no this priest has not been sainted by the pope as it were he's just right. a guy on an apple cart and what it. makes him better than me you know mm-hmm. so yeah totally um but yeah I, I think he's a great director and he doesn't deserve half the hate he's getting because uh, most of it's just you're a terrible director and it's like no you're not he's a great filmmaker and i'm super stoked for his next movie i don't yeah. think he did a good job with this movie but this the movie has script problems. There's it nothing does. wrong in the execution of the actual filmmaking. And mm-hmm. from all accounts, Ryan Johnson is incredibly capable of, of bringing together a big movie like this, which is like being a CEO of a company, mm-hmm. right? Bring it, And he had it done, like, what, 15 weeks early? The guy is incredibly efficient. That's why producers love him. He brought yeah. it in under budget and way ahead of time. And it was a hit, despite internet, you know. Yeah, a billion dollars. Yeah, but it was a hit. He did everything that a good kind of company guy should. That's not a knock to say he's some kind of corporate drone or anything, mm-hmm. but he did right by everybody involved. He's a, he's reliable. For sure. Talented. Yeah, totally. And uh, if anything, this movie proves to me at least that he is better off doing something in the Star Wars universe but completely new and original because his ideas with the current lore just didn't didn't click with me. Uh, and seems with you too and with most a good portion of the Star Wars fan base it didn't click with and so I, I that makes me even more excited honestly it's like if he has such sort of radical and radical ideas that just sort of go against everything that we like about the original trilogy and, and the saga films like let him break those rules in a new story new characters new settings new vehicles new droids and just new everything just have him build something from the ground up and that that that's why i'm excited for his trilogy and i'm i'm glad it's not i'm glad that he came out and said no i'm still working on it because i think he i think he should i can't imagine that that's gonna happen though i gotta tell you you don't think it's gonna happen no um if this new star wars movie this nine doesn't do lights out huge critical response big box office Mm -hmm. they're gonna put star wars on the shelf for a long time because completely like like tv shows books everything i think that it can eke out a life on tv because then in a way you sort of give it back to the fans because it becomes kind of an esoteric thing Mm -hmm. again but i i think that i mean the fact that solo was such a, a bomb as it was which I don't think is the movie's fault necessarily, even though I think it's kind of a lackluster movie. Mm-hmm. It, it's the fault of Disney for releasing it in May and not at Christmas. Huge I, blunder. I completely agree. Huge blunder. It was a suicide. Well, I don't know. And you know what? They did that in 2008 with Prince Caspian, the, the Narnia part two. What was that paired with? That you know they well they put the uh, Lion the Witch and the Wardrobe out in 2006 at Christmas time, mm-hmm. and it was a huge hit because people want fantasy and stuff at Christmas, right? Then they go, oh, that's such a big hit. We're gonna put 
Number two, Prince Caspian out as a big blockbuster. Oh, in the summer. And then it was yeah. a big flop. And they even came out and said, yeah, we released this at the wrong time. So I don't know why they, I mean, especially after the response of Last Jedi, I don't think anyone would have minded if they delayed it to Christmas. Yeah, I was expecting it to come out in Christmas. It's like, you don't need another. I mean, the, the great thing about their system is that we get our yearly Star Wars fix. We don't need it. I don't need to be consumed by Star Wars. No. It's, it's it's not good. It's, it's not Marvel. It's not Marvel. People are used to Marvel as a serial format because it began in comic books that came out every mm-hmm. month, right? You it's can, a big budget TV series. Right. But with Star Wars, you want it to have some heft and weight and gravitas. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you, you know why, Aquaman, why did Aquaman do so well at the I box office? I have no idea. Why? Because it was the only game in town. Right? Apparently, if you put Han Solo yeah. out at December, Aquaman does 400 million less. I guarantee it. Good point. Gosh, I I, I want to see what that what a future what that would be like. Everyone would be we could happy. Just rewind time and and I the person I feel worst for is this poor kid that had to play Han Solo and now has the mark of Cain on him because he was you know what I mean this poor guy. He was great. I, I thought he, he was did a bad job. Yeah, he did a fine job. I was I thought he was great and I was like I, I'd see another Han Solo movie with him in it. Biggest misstep of the movie is that it didn't it wasn't bookended with a scene of Han and Lando Harrison Ford Billy D Williams in a bar. They should have been the narrators of the movie, and he should have said, remember when we did this? And then Lando could chime in and be like, that's not how it happened. How amazing would that be? That would have been, that would have been great. Instantly, everyone loves it. Oh, yeah. You have the blessing of Harrison Ford and, exactly. and Billy D. Williams. Right. So, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guarantee you this, this work that Ryan Johnson is doing on this new trilogy. You don't think it's going to happen? I think his work is preparing a script. And they'll pay him a hundred thousand to do it, and then they'll look at it. And if nine doesn't do huge numbers, they say, "Thanks for everything, Ryan." Hmm. But we're closing up shop for five years. I could see that. I, I could see them either not releasing as many movies or holding on the movies for a good five, ten years, and just focusing on television and other other things like that. Because they have the the Mandalorian and like two other three right. other shows coming out on on the Disney streaming thing. So, and that's exciting. That's really exciting. We have never gotten a live action Star Wars show. So, uh, I, I, I don't think that would be a necessarily bad move if they did do that. But um, I'd be waiting patiently for the next big movie, though, unless Nine satisfies us till we do get the next one. Uh, on, so, on that note, are you excited for Nine at all? Yeah, maybe my imagination's just not big enough to come up with what J.J. Abrams might be doing with it. But, I mean, maybe he might just totally blow my mind and I'd say, I didn't even think of that. But uh, mm-hmm. me, right now, as an amateur writer, prognosticator of Star Wars plots, um, I can't see where they could go in a direction that would be at all interesting. Or And I think the biggest problem with the movie is that there's no camaraderie between Poe, Ray, and Finn. They were they were supposed to be the new Han, Luke, and Leia. Mm-hmm. Poe doesn't meet Ray till the very end of 8, right? Eight should have been their time to all go on a big adventure together. Mm-hmm. But because Johnson was saddled with fulfilling the Luke Ray, uh, you know, cliffhanger, that couldn't happen. Yeah. And instead we got a sequel that felt like big filler. Mm-hmm. There's no real expansion of the lore. So. Yeah. I'd have to, I'd have to agree for the most part with that. I think, um, I think we're going to get that camaraderie in nine I think I feel like they're going to keep this the group together, just given how separate they've kind of been, and especially since the Ray Finn dynamic was so 
appealing in, in, in seven. It's like, right. where's that? I wanted that. Get rid of Rose, whoever she is. Get, right. No, all due respect to the actress, but well, I feel bad for her because I guess she's been right. Oh yeah, poor calls. girl. But I saw they just announced too. They're like, we're thinking about making a Rose uh, TV show, and it's just really? like, I don't it's know. like that. That why? that's the last thing why? you want to do. I think the I think the character could still be redeemable, and she could still yeah. have some. She's great... the Lando of the series. Yeah, she's the Lando of the series. If anything, I, I think I think JJ is going to find some way to um, redeem her her character. But um, but if you notice something about Empire Strikes Back, it's front-loaded with action at the beginning, right? There's a big battle. Mm-hmm. Then, for the most part, it's an interpersonal sort of character journey for the rest of the movie. And then the big climax of all the action is Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. So, unless they're going to re-engineer it and there won't be a whole like ton of action in, in 9, I don't know how they're going to pull it off. They're going to have to force the friendship between the three of them, and it's going to feel like... I think there will be a time jump, too. Yeah, there has to be. It's got to be radically different, they, man. They can't do another a, a, a second or millisecond after the last movie again, because that just, like you said, that that wasn't the right the right decision to make. No. The one thing I just really quick adding on your on your note about the camaraderie, it seems like they're afraid of romances. Hundred percent. Like I was hoping for like a Finn, Finn, uh, a Finn and. Not Finn, well, yeah, I've heard that. Uh, Finn and Ray, why not relationship, or even Ray and 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 Poe. Ray like, and Kylo, dude. Ray that's and what Kylo. You want. Yeah, that's what everyone wants to see. Yeah, everyone wants to see that, and it could have happened at the end of eight if they'd had the courage of their convictions to actually do it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't I, need I, to be a romance, but it had to, her. He, you know, when he reaches his hand out, Red Letter Media made this point. Mm-hmm. He holds his hand out and goes, "Join me," right? And she looks at it. That should have been the end. And then everyone would have been like, oh my god. But instead we had to get a Return of the Jedi scale action scene at the end with a big bunch of walkers and shooting and, you know, like a big battle scene. That that would have been pretty dope. They should have just ended like that. Nobody would have been upset. They'd mm-hmm. have been happy and you would have saved yourself $20 million on a big action scene at the end. Mm-hmm. And then Luke could have come back in this new one. And everyone would be like, Luke, what are we going to do? Ray turned Well, apparently evil. he's going to be back in this one, but... He, yes, and I heard that I heard that basically he's going to be more alive now than when he was actually dead because they're just bringing him back as a ghost to just hang out all the time mm-hmm. because they're mad that he, they killed him because he yeah. shouldn't have. Ignite the green, Luke. Ignite the green, please. Didn't he lose his green lightsaber in six? Threw it down a shaft of a spaceship that blew up. No, no, no. That was... Uh, um, no, he had it. it he was threw up. it down the no, 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 shaft. No, 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 If you rewatch it at the end, he's got it on his belt. Oh, he does? Yeah. And he, where the it, hell is it? It's in The Last Jedi, too. Oh, that's right. He does have it in The Last Jedi. <laughs> Okay. So I was so pissed when he when he goes out to face Kylo and it's like you can't even give him the, the fucking green lightsaber. Oh, but, but that was supposed to be a hint that he was a secret force field ghost. I know. I I understand Which, the it, fact but it's that like, that was the case, and it wasn't him actually going back there himself. That feels like a real cheap blow. I can't tell Luke, you how many people have made that same argument to me, and I completely agree. I would have been more fine with it had he actually been killed for real than if he had been overexerting himself doing Pilates on, on the <laughs> island. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm, exactly. I'm trying so hard. And then yeah. Ryan Johnson, who I thought was a big, I don't even know, you can bleep this out, but just being a, a fucking troll, like, just, like, people were ripping on him for this. Like, wh- wh- who says you can just, like, this is the same thing. Like, who said that you can just make up new force powers, right? Mm-hmm. Who are you, George Lucas? Because if George Lucas made up new shit, no one would give a shit. No one would care, right? 
but this guy invents new stuff out of the blue and everyone's like who said that you could do this and he goes oh check this out and pulls out some like star wars book of like force powers and circles this little minuscule like thing that you know some like fan you know who wrote this like you know the fans that make the cutaway diagrams that name all the batteries on the millennium mm-hmm. falcon yeah, yeah. so what that well, come on you know what i mean and he goes oh it says in this book that they could do that I'm it's not, like dude I'm, I'm not too against them creating um, new force powers in the movie but it and it it it, it, it yeah feels I, I cheap. get what you're saying it feels cheap it does feel cheap. It's like, whoa, hey, I, you broke the bargain, man. I'm in it with the Force. I thought I knew what the Force could do because I've watched eight other films, seven other films, right? Mm-hmm. And now you're telling me that all, all the whole time. This way in Attack of the Clones, it feels really cheap when they're in the droid factory and R2 all of a sudden has rocket jets on his, on. His, you know what I mean? And it's kind of like, wait <laughs> yeah, a minute. Yeah. Well, you forgive it Where was that? And then people, spinners, Star Wars spinners will say, oh, he forgot that he had him when they wiped his memory. <laughs> oh, okay. Gosh. Right, come on. I actually have an action figure of that. Like, you attach the little rockets on his yeah. side. It's like, this This is kind of dumb. And it's cool when you're a kid. It's cool. But then when you're like, this is cheap. Yeah. You know. It's like, okay, have him fly in episode nine. Well, that's why they had to get rid of R2 in the new movies. Because they go, we know what? Everyone's running around so much. We need a robot that can actually, like, keep up with these yeah. people. So. Last point. Last point. Yeah. Give give r2 and 3po their their roles back because i am so pissed that they're reduced to freaking cameos yeah so it's it's bullshit it is too bad it's too bad okay we've talked enough about star wars um so that was our top three running down that that was um uh will smith's genie revealed in aladdin the tit for tat for the oscars as we build up to the big night this sunday and ryan johnson is still at least for now directing the announced star wars trilogy and now we move on to our topic of the week the reason why mr george Dahl's here to talk about his new movie the last stop record shop he was uh nice enough to give me a little gift uh an actual vhs of the movie this actually plays 100 percent, 100 percent. the film is on that vhs i need to buy a vhs player now and in my humble opinion, VHS is the ultimate way to experience the movie. That's definitely what I grew up on, so I can definitely agree with that. It looks bad, but it doesn't sound bad. Hey, you know, yeah. I I like a little film grain on my on the movies. Dude, it works because you know the whole the basically a major theme in the film is an argument between generations about the validity of physical media of records of VHS mm. tapes, of comic books, in the face of a mounting onslaught of digital media, which I think can seem disposable sometimes. You know, you have all your library of iTunes music and then you don't pay your bill for a month and it disappears, right? Mm-hmm. And so it seems cheap and I think it forces us to become sort of like fast food consumers of media. I like to have physical media in my house. I like records. I have DVDs. Totally. And I think that it's something that's really important. But on the other end, which is a major theme in the movie too, is that it's not feasible to be a luddite because you end up being kind of a grouch and a curmudgeon mm-hmm. and even though new media can seem scary sometimes it can help achieve wonderful ends and is enhancing to people's lives so very cool that's why i say it's the central premise of the film all right well, let me read the uh little synopsis here on the back just so the audience at home knows what we're talking about get ready for a trip Vinyl fanatics Dan and Richard stumble upon the ticket to saving their record store when a mysterious duffel bag full of CDs appears on their doorstep. Unbeknownst to our heroes, the albums are an ultra-rare released 
by famed hip hop artist Terry Toad. Hippie art, not yeah, he's not a hip hop. Oh, like hi- yeah, sorry, hippie, hippie artist. Yeah, Terry Toad. Um, and are secretly coded with LSD. The only problem: the duo sold the CDs to a couple of uh, precocious, vinyl hating, rap music blaring young ruffians. Hilarity and mind-bending hallucinations ensue as Dan and Richard hatch a plan to steal back their albums and save the store. First, that is a well-written synopsis. I gotta hand it to you. Thank you. I I struggle with that sometimes, and uh, it's hard to fit a lot in. But then again, this movie is so short, so you you really kind of fit everything in without revealing all the surprises. Right. You know, it's a great tease and it's a great informative little thing. So, um. You talked a little bit about this off air, but uh, where did this idea come from? Um, you know, it's hard to say. Uh, it, it actually came from the fact that Andy and Rob had both just graduated. They're a year younger than me, but we were always really mm-hmm. good friends in school. And the, the guys on the, the main characters. Yeah, yeah. Robert Segrist is an actor in Los Angeles, and he plays Danny. And my really good friend, Andy Donaldson, who's, who's very handsome, so he gets starring roles. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but he's an excellent graphic designer and animator. Um, he plays Richard, the proprietor of the store. And we all three got together because we've made many films in the past. Outlaws of Beck Lake, Doom Quest 2084, um, Revolt on Radic, you know, plenty of shorts. I've done a lot with Rob, mm-hmm. uh, many movies that are available on my website. And we came together and they said, hey, we're moving. Andy's now living in Colorado. Rob moved out to Los Angeles. And they said, we need to make one last big picture to put a cap on what we've done. And actually, we weren't even thinking big at the time. We, go, we, sh- we should just make something because we have fun working together and making movies. Mm-hmm. And so how a lot of our, our script writing sessions start is that we just make a list of everything that we have at our disposal. What do we got, right? I said, well, you know, Charlie and Augie are around. They'd be in a movie if we wanted them to. Canesville Collectible Guys, where we shot the film. It's a wonderful record in comic book store in Counts Buffs, Iowa. A real stalwart pillar of the community. A wonderful place, especially if you're into the kind of stuff that we're into. You'd love it if you're from the area. Mm-hmm. They let us film there, I guarantee it. Um, we've got all these CDs. And we got, you know, what, what should we do? And we just sat around Rob's parents' pool, had some beers, and brainstormed. And we reached out to a guy we know whose music we really like, listened to it for a while, got some inspiration, jotted some things down. There was no real formal script for this movie and just, like, went at it the next day. Really? No formal script? No. That is... We plotted everything out and what was supposed to happen. But most of the movie is improvised, which is a real... You know, I had an idea in my head of, I kind of formulated all the scenes when I was directing. And I'm like, what needs to happen in this scene is something akin to this, mm-hmm. right? And we would tweak things. Like if someone would say something, I'd say, let's try to mix it up a little bit. Or we'd write stuff down. Mm-hmm. But there was no formal script. And it just is a real testament to these guys' ability as actors to come up with things on the fly. Yeah, mad, mad respect to that. That's I don't want to be uh, easier said than done. Yeah, totally. So we did shoot some reshoots in December, which is why it took so long for the movie to come out. Mm-hmm. But um, those were scripted. But I think we even kind of went off script with those and just started making stuff up. So, cool. Um, so, talk a little bit about the um, you, you you mentioned the themes. Talk a little bit more about um, thematically what this movie means to you personally. What it means to me personally, I don't know. I I guess I've always conceived of movies as a little bit of a time capsule. So mm-hmm. usually every summer we'd make a movie. And you could go back and watch through some of these old films. Like I watched through The Outlaws of Beck Lake, which I'm not sure you've seen, but it was a movie that's I think about 50 minutes that we made mm. when we were in college. Made here in Council Bluffs. And there'll just be little things like 
there's a character uh, characters are smoking cigars outside and they're smoking these little jarum black cigars that were I don't think they sell anymore but they were really popular with all of us that year <laughs> we were all smoking these and so you see that kind of thing and you go I remember that and then it starts to make you think about other things and you extrapolate more and it just sort of becomes a time capsule or a journal entry into what you were doing that moment in your life mm -hmm. we want to move on to make bigger things that aren't necessarily governed by us just wanting to hang out and us rather wanting to make a movie and have something to say but that was the initial impetus of the film and we wanted to make just kind of a hangout movie that was a slow descent into chaos and i'm not sure if we fulfilled that but i think that we might because the ending that, is yeah i i'd say you did okay good because <laughs> that's exactly that's actually what convinced us to keep going and to make some more special effects scenes and to really work on the edit and to shoot more stuff was that we would show people the end and um they usually had a really great response and we thought maybe we have something here you know let's keep going with this so it became a sort of 34 minute thing mm -hmm. but <clears throat> i guess that was our that was our mindset behind making it mm -hmm. cool um I have to ask this because I've, I've been dying to ask you about it. So do you know that Charlie's credited twice in the movie? You know what? You're the second person to notice that. <laughs> Actually, we had no idea. And dude, I cannot tell you how many times I watched this movie. I watched this movie a million times. Do you know what I mean? Never I've watched it mind. so many times because I, okay, I've edited it nonstop for literally six months, right? Mm -hmm. Anytime I had downtime, I'm like, I got to fix this scene because I, for some reason it was incredibly, incredibly difficult to edit. Very hard. I don't know. It's one of the most difficult editing challenges I've ever had, and I can't exactly tell you why. Mm -hmm. But it just took a very, very long time. And we added in a lot of stuff, changed things. We had different alternative versions of the movie. We have alternative scenes that we just had to cut, you know, or we thought actually the original version is better. Mm -hmm. Admit it. And I edited it so many times and also copied so many of these on the VHSs. And I've had to, like, the movie will be on for, like, rotating in my house forever, right? And I did not notice that until somebody pointed it out. So thanks. Yeah, that was uh, the big gaffe. And yeah. you know, the funny part is, I think I know what happened there, which is that uh, Andy Corey was supposed to get a credit, and uh, I just put Charlie twice. So sorry, uh -huh. Andy. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, that's what I thought. I thought like, mm. did, wait, is Gus in this too? Maybe Gus was supposed to get a credit. Or... Yeah. Because but, but Gus is in the Gus though. is in yeah. it. Does a very good job. He's, yeah. He could only come for a short period of time, but yeah. No, he was hilarious. I loved. I loved every everybody in the movie is, is really great. I I've seen uh, Augie's out there doing uh doing his thing in L.A. now, and right. uh, I I got a chance to talk with him over lunch when I was living out there, and uh, he seems to be doing really well, and uh, uh, you know stuff like this. He I think he really it's where he really excels, and oh, God, him great. playing <laughs> the punk ruffian. Uh, I think was uh, well. They really sell it too. They really sell it, yeah. And I'll tell you this too: like we told him kind of what we wanted to do. We took him out to dinner and talked to him, like, "Hey, would you guys be willing to do this in the next couple of days?" Mm -hmm. And they got what we were trying to do like right away. Hmm. And they were able to play that like total. They were able to so easily mock their own generation and identify the tropes associated with it mm -hmm. with with you know Gen Xers or Gen Z. I think they're called now. Which is pretty surprising. It shows like an astounding amount of self-awareness. Yeah. Because think about how the hippie generation, they took themselves so seriously. You know what I mean? The 60s. Yeah. Whereas to be able to lampoon yourself so well to where this movie appeals to adults and 
kids, I'd say, because I know it's a lot of adults who really like it. Yeah. And we were actually really worried that people would not get it or think it was too demented or strange or violent or weird. Yeah. But we've gotten a pretty good response on it so far. Yeah, no, it, it's it's definitely a relatable thing. I, I think you guys touched on a lot of things that I personally agree with, too. Um, I haven't released it yet, and I probably should eventually. But I did a, um, for my college thesis, I did a uh, short film called Windfall Rising. It was about... Uh, two grape farmers, one of them. Right. Yeah, I told you about this one. Yeah. And it's all about um, the, the older guy sticking to the old way of doing things, which is something I've just grown up with. I've been, like you, I'm assuming, have I've been engulfed with old-fashioned music, old-fashioned movies, and just preserving, like, you know, anytime there's a movie that comes out that, oh, we're going to, this is going to be released in yada yada millimeter film, I'm like, good 70 millimeter print I'm yeah there. or like yeah. when star wars releases their movie what they film on on film i'm like yeah no, no star wars that's great when jj was like yeah we're shooting on 35 millimeter and we're also using original lenses from the original camera from the shoot of star wars i was mm-hmm. like that is spectacular that's amazing really cool yeah. yeah and i just yeah I, I i sometimes joke with a lot of my younger friends like yeah i'm pretty much an old man because right i act that way I, my tastes are very are, are geared towards things from back in the day. I don't get into a lot of things people like today. Neither do I. And it, it there, there was there was so much that I could touch on with that movie because um, I was also I was co-directing it with somebody and, and she was bringing kind of her own personal experiences with it as well, um, which were very similar. But just coming from a different background, she was you know grew up on a farm stuff like that, so she kind of very directly related to that specific situation whereas I was kind of coming at it from a more um, kind of a more nostalgic perspective if that makes any sense Um, but yeah I guess just the overall theme of um, the old the old ways are the best but there is something to be said about the new and um, both should not be just pushed aside completely right because we can't survive without either or 100 percent. yeah that's I, I totally agree with you there and uh that was um yeah, obviously charlie and augie's characters are totally over the top obnoxious villains in the movie mm-hmm. but they do symbolize a sort of wave of progress i.e communication over the internet which ends up helping our main characters right they need to live in a sort of a of a symbiosis you mm-hmm. know yeah a symbian circle, symbian as Obi Wan might say, yeah. <laughs> Phantom Menace. You must understand this. Um, let's get a little. Let's get technical. So, sure. um, what did you guys shoot this on? Uh, Black Magic Ursa Mini. Nice. Um, do you have like a? I'm not super big on tech, but like, do you have like a particular brand of lenses that you like to use, or uh, cheap ones that I can afford? <laughs> um, we think for that. I mean, what we should have done for this movie is to have the foresight to rent some nicer lenses. Mm-hmm. I have lenses that are totally serviceable, and we shot a lot of it in like twenty-four millimeter with twenty-four millimeter lenses. There's a lot of sort of flat, static shots because um, I really wanted the movie to look sort of mannered in a way, especially when we're in the store. Obviously, there's some movement when I use my uh, the DJI Ronin, which mm-hmm. is a, you know a gimbal that allows for movement. So the opening scene, which is sort of a dance sequence. Um, really helped bring you into the movie with some movement and some kineticism and action but most of the time it's kind of locked down which sometimes I, I, I uh, just because in the past I've shot everything like over the shoulder and it gets to be shaky and I'd wanted to I think sometimes it looks amateurish if you're not Paul Greengrass right mm-hmm. 
So I wanted it to look more mannered and formal, um, which I think worked, but I think can be a little stultifying. And I didn't, I don't think it's as cinematic as it potentially could have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the look of it definitely um, comes off as vintage. I mean, as the, that's definitely the, the, the store is a big help because mm-hmm. the oh, store yeah. looks wonderful and mm-hmm. there's all sorts of colors and, it's nice to be able to immerse yourself in a place that you want to be in mm-hmm. and go to. For aesthetics, were you trying to emulate sort of like an 80s, 70s look? or what? Talk about that. You know, I can't exactly say that's... I mean, we were hoping that that sort of nostalgia would be infused into the movie just by nature of them hanging out in a record store all day. Mm-hmm. And I made sure that when there was ever people handling records or talking about them... Every record that they use as a prop, like I think there's a, the first record done by The Doors, uh, they're all ones that I own that I brought. Or if I had Rob reading a comic book, I wanted to make sure it was a comic book that looked good. Or we moved videotapes around to be in specific places because we wanted to give people that idea um, that, they, that this movie is, lives in a world where the things that we like also coexist. You know, Because mm-hmm. for me, I really like to watch movies like Lord of the Rings. I love to watch that film over and over and over again because I would love to be in Middle Earth. It's a wonderful place. So we wanted to make sure that the record shop was, since we're going to spend so much time there, that it was somewhere that you would feel comfortable hanging out in. Yeah, appealing. Yeah. Um, when, uh, okay, editing. So um, mm-hmm. what did you guys edit on? Like what software? I use Final Cut Pro X. I know people don't like it, but. It works. I, like I hate Premiere. Really? You can't it. work on can't Premiere? I can't stand it. Don't like it. They tried to teach me it in college. I couldn't do it. I always just took my projects home and edited them on my own software just because I didn't like it. But I grew up using iMovie. Okay. So it just seems I've never run into any hurdles where I couldn't do something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I just haven't changed. So it's just that, just being used to that, because yeah, oh, Final yeah. Cut and iMovie are very similar in the way they're set up. Hundred percent. And and Adobe is a little more refined. I guess I just find it to be number one, not very aesthetically pleasing to me. And if mm-hmm. I'm going to be spending time looking at a screen all day, I'd much rather do it with an Apple product, which is so. You know, finessed and nice. I love Apple. Yeah, things. it's comfy. So, uh, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. And if you're going to spend time doing it, um, I want to spend something uncomfortable. But. Yeah, I have both, and um, I, I feel like what I do is is because I'm doing a lot of remote projects for some people I know in LA, and um, for them I, I'll use Final Cut partly because when I already started the project when I was in LA on Final Final Cut, but sure. or no, sorry, not 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 Final Cut, Adobe. Um, but I like Adobe because everything is compacted, but it's laid out. Okay. Like you can find something pretty easily, and um, I do like the um, the layers, the the video layers and the audio layers. That's mm. definitely helpful. It's not something you get with Final Cut. That's but what I don't like. It's too cluttered, and if I want to expand things, I can do it manually. Mm-hmm. You know, that's true. Yeah, but I do like using Final Cut for my like. My trailer reactions, um, special videos I'm putting on YouTube, or depending depending on the mood with, with I'm making a short film, I'll either use Final Cut or I'll use Adobe. But um, yeah, I think there's it's just based on personal preference. And you might you might be right that it's easier or it's more efficient workflow mm-hmm. on Adobe. But I've sort of like hijacked Final Cut, and I have a lot of shortcuts to get done what I want to get done just by kind of circumnavigating I don't know how to say this right. uh, number one here's here's my thing as a filmmaker I'm not incredibly technically interested in cameras 
I'm, I'm really not. Yeah. You know, I it's sort of I need I learned what I need to learn as a means to an end to tell stories. Right. But I'm not like a big camera geek. I follow a lot of guys who they shoot really beautiful stuff. You know, they've got really good looking stuff. But I find that it looks and uh, way better than anything I could do. Beautiful, gorgeous shots of, you know, people skateboarding or snowboarding and stuff like that. But uh, that's not really what I'm necessarily interested in doing. And I think after a while, a lot of it starts to look kind of the same. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I'm always working to improve how my films look. I think that if we had a little more time to do color correction, I think the movie looks a little bit muddy sometimes. But um, I like to shoot in my style and me liking film. I'm more, I'd say I'm more of a director and writer first before I'm a cinematographer, that's for sure. And if I'm working on, I'm working on a new project and I'm planning on hiring lighting people to do that work for me. So. I'm, 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 the ex- <clears throat> I'm the exact same way. Yeah. I, I, I need, to, I know I need to like improve on my camera skills, lighting skills just to, yeah, an end to a mean, but, uh, or, or whatever it is, but, um, yeah, I don't like the technical stuff. No. Um, I love crafting a story, love crafting characters and then editing it all together is fun for me because you're still working with the story and editing is not that the other lighting cinematography is not art in itself totally are but editing is still part of that storytelling and you're and that's where it all really comes together it's probably the most important part of the storytelling process i think sure you can you can heal a lot of bad footage if you know how to edit correctly mm-hmm. and um like you know what I, and I don't mean to say like i don't like to shoot things for fun because I really do. Like I just shot a concert recently for a guy who came to town, and uh, I love doing that kind of stuff, running around filming, and then going home and looking at all your footage is like opening Christmas presents, and you right. go, "Oh yeah, I can do all this. This looks really fun and great," you know. But I don't consider myself to be like, you know, watching Philip Bloom videos all the time and wanting to experiment with other cameras. My goal is to get a camera that I can use. It's going to be reliable, and I can sort of make usable for my purposes, and we'll get the job done. But I'm not super interested in testing out the latest Sony camera blah 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 mm-hmm. you know it just doesn't I know I probably should but it's just some, not something I can necessarily bring myself to mm-hmm. care about I like to watch there are, there are people who are just as interested in that stuff as, as we are in writing directing and you know there's there's a time and place for certain people and those guys they'll do their thing we'll do our thing so that's, yeah. that's just the, the approach I take but I mean I think yeah you bring up a good point that it's important to to a degree finesse those skills so you can at least survive 100% because you should uh, know you should yeah. I, I listened to an interview with Kevin Smith once where he was telling one of his stories about Bruce Willis and what a jerk he is or whatever <laughs> and uh, he was telling a story about how he was embarrassed in front of Bruce Willis because he doesn't know like focal length on lenses he doesn't know the difference between a 24 millimeter lens and a 35 millimeter lens. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know it. And I was like, that's kind of embarrassing. You know, that seems like pretty like regular stuff. But he said, he's like, oh, I've been working with the same cinematographer since I first started and he just does everything for me. And I'm like, okay. But, you know, there's a place for that because I really do like a lot of Smith's films. And it's funny because people have compared this movie to Kevin Smith stuff. And I, th- and I, you know, actually, initially, we were really proud of ourselves because we were like, we, oh, I can't necessarily think of anything that we're like ripping off. Because when we were in high school, we would make movies like The Crusades Rule too. Oh yeah. Which I don't know, you've seen that? Yeah. Which is basically just me being like, I want to make Kingdom of Heaven and Lord of the Rings and the Avengers. You know, I want to like just copy things that I like. You know. Right. And obviously, there's always going to be a little bit of your own humor and yourself in there, but it's a, it's. 
I think a lot of young filmmakers run into this problem where they're like, I really want to make a movie that's like this. So they make a movie that's just like a, kind of a ripoff of a filmmaker they like. I want to make a Christopher Nolan movie, you know. And those can be kind of not very interesting. But we were really proud of ourselves because we thought that this was like wholly original. We put it on Reddit and it mm-hmm. was uh, got a lot of high marks on there. But people were like, this reminds me a lot of High Fidelity or like Mallrats and stuff. Yeah, I was going to say it has a it, – thinking about it, it does have a Mallrats feel to it. There's zaniness and cartooniness in it. Even mm-hmm. though there's some bits that are based in reality. Which yeah, no, I, I can get that. I um, intentionally I I try to do a uh, Tarantino style uh, crime comedy called. I did see uh, that. The that was genre. very well done. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, well, and I, you know what else is great about it too? I love the colors. Good. I mean, it was wonderful use of color. Yeah, and no, that I, great shot of those guys running down the alleyway was incredible. That was like the money shot. I How was did like, you do that? This has to be fucking perfect. We literally so um, someone in the back of a car with a someone in the back of the car. My friend had this big um, pickup truck, and um, somehow we—I don't remember if we actually dubbed the footsteps or if the car was just so quiet that we were able to get away with it. But yeah, he just stood outside, and he—I told them like once they get to a certain point, go. And then uh, the guys did a great job at key. I think we only did two takes of that shot. Did was, you have a gimbal? No, I don't he think... He was just holding it? He was just holding it. Holy cow. Yeah. It was... That guy is like the steadiest hand in the West. I know. He. I mean, the guy I work with, uh, cinematographer, he's he's great. He's super technical, knows his stuff. And it, I'm, I'm in a way, it's like with Kevin Smith's cinematographer, he knows his stuff so well that I'm just like, I want this. And he's like, okay, let me get that for you. And then yeah. he's got it. Like, he knows what Kevin it. wants and what he wants it to look like. Exactly, and, yeah. And that was, that was a practice of trying to... Um, Cop, mimic not mimic a, a, a filmmaker but um, I'm attract I love Tarantino's style like mm-hmm. I want to make movies like that um, so it was it was crafting an original story that kind of paid homage to Tarantino but also was its own thing and you know I'm a big fan of very bright colors and, and comedy and suspense and I love sort of the, the editing of um so this is the present. Let's go to the past for a second. Let's this is back in the present. Let's go back to the past. And so uh, I remember that's the thing when I first saw Reservoir Dogs. I think I was maybe twelve, mm-hmm. and it was like in my parents' closet. And you know, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm gonna watch this. But at the time, like, what did I see? Like Spider Man Two and Star Wars. You know, <laughs> yeah. And the idea of that playing with narrative like blew my mind. I told everybody at school, I'm like, I like. It all happens in flashback. It's crazy. Like they're here, and then they you don't know what happened, and then they go back. And I was like, yeah. blown away by that. I remember being told before I was going to watch Reservoir Dogs, just like, dude, it's so great, it's so mind blowing. It's it's a bank robbery without the robbery. It's like, whoa, man. Hey. And I, I had that experience with uh, Pulp Fiction in terms of like messing with the uh, mm-hmm. with the structure. I was like, wait, th- 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 this actually works. Yeah. Like they, they they died, or or, or um, uh, John Vincent. Travolta died. Vincent Vega dies at the in the middle of the movie, but he's alive in the scene because it's and it and it works. Totally. And that's yeah, that's when I first started to think about like, so the I mean like movies are just movies are fluid. You can you can change things up. You can break the rules. Yeah. It's just as long as it, as long as it makes sense at the end of the day to the audience. That's, and to you I guess that that that's. You, you can potentially have a hit on your hands. Uh, anyway, where are we going with that? Yeah, you make a good point though about, and we wanted to do that by switching it up and having it be 
a movie where there were lots of different filmmaking tonal shifts. So there's mm-hmm. a sequence in which they trip out on LSD. Yeah. Which is like sort of the midway showstopper bit of the movie, right? And they go to like the insane world of this fire demon who hates records, you know? So we wanted to do something on green screen. We're like, how can we do, what can we do in the span of a small amount of time to fit in as much wackiness as we possibly can? We use mixed media by having Snapchat videos as part of the film, you know? Mm. And uh, that was all very, very fun to do. And I think that's something that it's recurred in my work because I made a movie once in college where a guy found a magical movie camera and he was able to transport himself through different, he was living his life through different genres of films. So he existed at one moment in a French New Wave film. He was in a karate film from the 70s. He was in a silent movie. And I think another theme that goes through it is probably male friendship is big in a lot of my movies if I'm just sort of yeah. psychoanalyzing myself. And that's... I Like, I love movies like The Sting or Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Totally. Buddy buddy movies. Yeah. And I like, I like that idea of Kevin Smith, his films too, where he oftentimes uses the same actors over and over again in different roles. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of fun because you feel like it's a big Kevin Smith theater troupe. And part of the excitement is going back to see, oh, who is Jason Lee going to be playing this time? Mm -hmm. He was our protagonist in Mallrats. Now in Dogma, he's the devil. You know, so it's that's always fun to mix up what your characters are doing. More like Sam Jackson with uh, Tarantino. Yeah, even if he's just um, like in uh, uh, in Glory. Wait, what movie is it that he's just? Oh, in Kill Bill, he's just the guy playing the piano. Yeah, you know, (laughs) I love that. I loved Quentin Tarantino's cameos in the movie too. Oh yeah, not that great. I want. I have a cameo in the film. Two, uh, two. I you played. do have two cameos in the film. Not that I wanted to, but it was just because we didn't have anybody else. Uh huh. But I love his bit. His cameo in Death Proof is probably his best one. I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, okay. I have to. Okay. I'll check that out eventually. But um, cool. Anything else you wanted to uh, tell people about the uh, Last Stop Record Shop? Last Stop Record Shop is a fun trip of a movie. You know, and, and it's been performing actually pretty well. We were pretty surprised, actually. We were hoping to get like 200 views on it in the first week, and we're actually getting close nice. to 1,000 on Vimeo. So that was Very really cool. nice. And um, we've sent some videotapes out to some people and hope to get some in stores soon. I'm working on that. And people seem to really enjoy it, and we're just really happy about it. So I think Great. people enjoy it. And you know what? In a world where you have unlimited media to watch all the time with Netflix and stuff, we're just honored that anybody would spend a half an hour to sit down and watch your movie. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's a big win for us. In our opinion. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Uh, honestly, I'll, I'll spend hours scouring through Netflix, not finding a thing. And, uh, it's like, I don't know if I, if I saw this on Netflix, I'd be like, I'll give it a watch. Well, good. We, we've actually talked about what it would be if in you know, the, the all best possible scenarios world, somebody approached us about doing a full feature length one. Yeah, no, that'd be awesome. You could explain. Um, where can people, besides on VHS, which I'm assuming is kind of exclusive for now. It's for a very esoteric market. Yeah, yeah. where can uh, people find the movie? People can find the movie on georgedahl.com slash last stop or on Vimeo. Or YouTube, where I think it's got like 10 views. So, so watch it on Vimeo if you want to feel like you're part of the happy, fun group of mm-hmm. many people who are watching. Uh, all those links will be provided in the uh, description of this, this podcast episode. And uh, It's also available for purchase on VHS on my website. We had some random guy from California buy it the other day. Sweet. There you go. Hey, get yeah. take whatever you can. Yeah. Um, last question. Sure. Uh, what's next? I'm working on a documentary okay. about a guy that um, I met. Well, I was shooting a, a commercial, and uh, I, had to, I had to interview him for this commercial, and I started talking to him more, and he's a very, very, very interesting guy with a, quite an interesting life, 
and I'm going to be making a short documentary about him uh, probably next month uh, with but for this I'm assembling a bigger crew and Andy Donaldson who played Richard in the film is going to be helping me shoot it and is also going to be providing animated segments for the movie wow so I'm really excited for that and then as far as narrative goes we I might try to work in a short film here or there I know uh, the character Rob who plays uh, Danny really wants to make like a big lights out feature film but <laughs> we'll see what happens there we need to decide on a script nice but uh, yes yeah, so looking forward to it yeah thanks thanks Actually, for having me on yeah, of course. Actually, um, I have a project I need to talk to you about before we, before you go today. So right remind me before you go. <laughs> um, well, yeah, you guys heard it here. The Last Stop Record Shop, directed by uh, my good buddy George Dahl. Thank you. Check it out. It's it's a trip. <laughs> well, good. Glad. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah, it's been a. It, we. I remember we talked about getting you on the show. Like, gosh, even before I came on on your your uh video journal yeah talked yeah. about getting you on the show and uh it's finally happened and uh definitely won't be the last time i mean right. I, it seems like every time we get together we we can just go on for hours i, th- I think this episode is going to be like over an hour which nice totally fine people because, will be happy they want content man. yeah exactly so uh yeah i can confidently say you've earned a uh, spot back on uh boom whenever we can figure that out great but um George Adal, thank you for being on the show today. Thank um, you for having me. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Where can the people find you online, social you, media? You can find me on uh, Instagram, I guess, at uh, Doll yep. Productions. I'm on Twitter if you want to hear what I think about politics. Probably don't. And uh, you can find me on YouTube under George Dahl. I have my show, Film Journal, that I try to keep up on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in my website, georgedahl.com. Sweet. Be sure to give George a... Uh, Check him out. He's got some great stuff. Uh, again, doing some videography work, some pretty great stuff, and some short films. Seriously, check out some of his older work. It is <laughs> hilariously good. <laughs> They're ambitious. <laughs> Very ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're looking to watch the Academy Awards, you can do that and, you know. You should it, live stream it. You sh- I've, yeah. You should live stream it from work. <laughs> I'd probably get fired for that. But um, anyways... <laughs> I uh, will see you guys next time when I record my next episode. Uh, probably will be by my lonesome again until uh, somebody interesting comes along and says, hey, I want to be on your show. You'll find someone. I'll find somebody. Well, maybe maybe I'll call have one of my buddies from California call in. I usually like doing that. So, Anyways, I hope you guys have a um, great day. Go see a movie. Go smell the flowers or the snow if you can. Uh, those of you struggling with the Midwest weather, snow, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, we're all struggling right there with you. And um, Don't go outside. Stay inside and watch Last Stop Record Shop. It, do that. Exactly. <laughs> um, I'm hoping to God one day that the sun's going to come out, though, and that early spring we were promised will actually happen because I, I'm, I'm sick of being cooped up in this house. I want to actually like, be able to drive to a coffee shop without dying. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm drawing this out. Just go outside if you can. If not, hang in there. Okay. Well, we'll see you guys next time. Have a great day. God bless. And peace out. <laughs>